You are listening to Natural Born Alchemist. Welcome to episode number 95 of the Natural Born Alchemist podcast. My name is Alex and I'll be your host. In this episode, my guest is Steven Parato, who runs the website feelinggoodfeelinggreat.com. And Steven is, among many things, a writer, a poet and a Reiki master. So thanks for being on the podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. So uh, please inform the listeners a bit about who you are and what you do. Uh, my name is Stephen Parado, and I'm a writer, blogger, Reiki master, world traveler, and I like to call myself a positivity connoisseur as well. So I'm involved in a lot of stuff. <laughs> yeah, your uh, website has a very positive name. Yeah, it's called Feeling Good, Feeling Great. So how did this all start? It started because I always considered myself a positive person and it would rub off on other people so I would be able to influence other people positively. And I also have had a passion for writing for a long time. So it was a, a natural blend of both of those things. And it's become, it's evolved over time. I started that four years ago and I have a really different view on positivity now. It's more of like a shamanic perspective on positivity because I used to be almost delusional, like ignoring the darkness and ignoring negativity both in the world and within myself. And now I'm able to kind of show love to every aspect, both light and dark, negative and positive. And those are just labels anyway. <laughs> so why did... Um... What, what made it start this journey? Was it anything particular or just you wanted to uh, change your life? I've always been such a seeker. Like I epitomize the, the archetype of the seeker. I've always been curious. I've always been asking questions. I've always been super creative. And I like, I like expressing that with people. And I got involved in like more self-improvement aspects because... One experience in particular sparked that. It was when I was in college. I was like 19 years old, something like that. And I was partying too much. And one one night, I drank too much and ended up going to the hospital. So after that, I really had to reevaluate everything I was doing in life. So that made uh, me focus inward instead of outward. So that was kind of a key moment in my life that moved me in this direction. You mentioned you were doing Reiki. So, uh, I mean, this is a word that if anybody is Googling a lot about healing and things like that, this word often comes up. And uh, what exactly what is it? It's an energy healing practice, essentially. So it's done um, through the hand. So it's taking the, the life force energy that exists everywhere and it's just bringing it through yourself and through your hands. That, that's essentially what it is. And it's like, it's what the Chinese call chi. It's what uh, the Hindus call prana. It's life force energy. It's basically the, the utilization of that life force energy for healing purposes. So is it like doing tai chi? Um, it's, it's very similar. 
you're you're using the same energy. I had a friend who didn't like people who did Tai Chi, and he had an interesting theory. He, he said that because you move very slowly when you do Tai Chi, and he said those people, uh, because they do so much Tai Chi, everything they do is slow, so it annoyed him. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. But it also, on the other hand, it it allows you to rest because you need rest to support activity. So people that rest more, they can become more explosive on the other side of the spectrum. So do you just work through your website or also in real life? Um, a lot of it's through my website. And I quit my nine to five job last October. So almost a year ago. And I traveled the world after that. And I've been really focusing on my own projects associated with my website. And since I'm not making too much money off of that right now, I'm also picking up some freelance work and things like that on the side. So I I escaped the nine to five life, though. <laughs> so you said you were doing writing as well. What what do you write about? Um, I write about I'm all over the place with writing. I, I really traverse the whole spectrum. So a lot of it is with spirituality, self-improvement, philosophy. That's what I write about through my website and my blog, like all of those kind of topics. And I also write poetry as well. And I write a lot of fiction also. And I'm releasing a book soon, a novel of mine, which is a, a full-length novel. So I'm into fiction as well. So do you, because you're, um, you know, most... Uh people who are like healers or helpers, uh, self-improvement, they're usually older and you're quite young compared to um, uh, the standard age. Does that have a, is that something that you have to work with? Because people might not think somebody who is younger is as experienced as an older person. Yeah, it, it is a challenge in some way, but it also creates a niche for me because... I don't act like I have all the answers and I don't act like a guru, but I'm just a seeker and I'm just exploring and asking the questions. So I I help people in that sense and in the sense that I'm I'm very relatable as well. So it's like I'm on the journey too. I'm not some someone who's like outside looking in telling people what to do. So I I try to keep that humble mentality. How, uh, according to you, can you reach that state? Um, there are so, so many ways to do it. <laughs> and I've, I've dissected so, uh, tons of ways. But I think the, the key thing that everything else leverages on is meditation and mindfulness. I think that's, that's the key. Because you could feel good through exercise. You can do it through writing or expressing yourself or hiking outside. But it all starts with being aware of what you're doing, being aware of your thoughts, being aware of your emotions, being aware of of yourself, your ego, all of that. It all starts with meditation, mindfulness, awareness. Do you think you can reach that state if you have like a, five, a nine to five job or is it possible to be in the rat race and still be like in bliss? I think it is. And it it's definitely more challenging, but it is possible. And I've seen it. And yeah, because 
it is more of an uphill battle in situations like that that aren't conducive to someone's happiness. Like you're constricted, you can't move where you want to, but anything is attainable. So if you're really experienced and you have a lot of inner mastery, you're able to get to that state of bliss no matter what's happening externally. For me, I think one key if you want to do that is to uh, uh, not take anything so seriously. Exactly. <laughs> I, I just wrote that down, actually. I wrote something like, wisdom is seeing that it's all a big cosmic joke. Yeah, I, I remember one time I was in a bank to do some official business with some bank servant. And uh, the meeting was, you know, like, almost felt like I was in a scene in a movie. It was like, according to ritual, like, the way you behave. And I couldn't help myself to say to him, like, you know, this, like, thing we're doing now is just like a joke. <laughs> and, uh, he, but he, he he didn't understand what I was saying. <laughs> I, I went too far, I think. <laughs> but that's such a good perspective to have, because once you start taking things too seriously, it's a downward spiral and you lose that, like, childlike essence and and that that kind of um lightheartedness it's so it's so crucial for our well-being and once you start exploring things both in yourself and the world you realize that it really isn't that it's kind of like a stage show it's a theater and if you take it too seriously you're just going to make yourself miserable i always also uh, try and think about the misery when i in a misery situation like a common thing in modern society is you find yourself in a queue and you you know long ago I used to get stressed and annoyed if the queue took long time but now when I'm in a queue and I'm sensing I'm getting this emotion I'm thinking about the children and women who are gang raped and enslaved in the mines of Congo you know and then usually when I think about that I the I'm, I don't feel stressed or annoyed about the queue because they would you know do anything to be in my queue you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, someone always has it worse than you, and that's that's a really <laughs> beneficial perspective, and it it helps you establish gratitude for whatever situation you're in. And I actually, it's not common I see this, but you know, like when you're out and about in the city and you you see like an argument occurring happening for some reason and just the other day there was some guy on a bike who happened to I, I didn't see what happened but apparently he maybe smashed into somebody else or something and m- several people were involved and they were all angry trying to cast blame but he for some reason said look th- stop being angry it was my fault I'm sorry it was my fault and they couldn't let go they they wanted to continue their argument but he kept saying this thing and it, it was so unusual to see, so I was quite surprised because normally it's not like that. Yeah, that, that's a good model that that people can use because if you don't feed that negativity and that anger and things like that, it, it can't exist much longer. That fire is going to simmer out. Have you uh, had any, like, uh, you know, if you compare yourself now to before, uh, is there any, like, specifics where you can say, like, in this thing I used to be very bad and this is how I solved it and now I'm like this in in so many ways uh one that recently is like really apparent to me is um involving positivity 
and anger. Anger is, is a big example because a few years ago, I labeled myself as a positive or spiritual person. And a positive spiritual person doesn't get angry. So I would act that out. And if I felt anger arising within me, I would suppress it, judge it, or ignore it. So I would just let it linger in the shadows instead of addressing it. And these days, I don't really subscribe to any label. I am who I am. I just am. <laughs> so if anger arises within me, I observe it. And I'm like, hmm, I guess I'm angry at that. Interesting. Like, okay, we'll let that go. So it's like shining light on it and transmuting it instead of ignoring it. Because when things are suppressed and ignored, they stay in the shadows and they cause a lot of chaos from, that, from the shadows if you don't address it. And another thing that I like doing is if I see myself getting angry or worked up about something in some kind of negative state, I'll like take a step back and say, like, look as, look as the Steven gets angry right now. It's amusing. He's angry. <laughs> so if you give yourself that objective perspective on yourself, then it allows you to not take it seriously and let that anger or whatever that emotion is that you don't want, let it go. Because if you forgive whatever a person did to you, you know, you kind of like give, you know, you're kind of saying like, okay, that's okay, you hurt me and I forgive you. But if you let go, um, you let go of how that made you feel. And in a way you can also forgive, but when it's like deeper, heavier things, it's just easier to just let it go and like bounce off you, you know. Yeah, letting go is, is crucial. But in my opinion, I think forgiveness entails letting go. So I associate forgiveness with clearing it from myself. So I view I view forgiveness as it's letting go of things within you more than it has to do with someone else. So it's more of a self-clearing process. If there's like a bully, if you're being bullied by somebody, for instance, you know, usually it feels very bad to be bullied, but... Uh, really, the one suffering is the bully, you know? Yeah, hurt people hurt people. <laughs> so you have to have some inner pain in order to project that, that pain outward. Have you ever experienced that, like growing up, uh, being bullied? Um, just a few times. And this actually relates to, to a meditation practice I did a couple months ago. So there, there were a couple scenarios. I, I wasn't really bullied much growing up as a kid, but there were a couple scenarios when I was about 13 or 14 years old where I got bullied a couple times. And it was new to me, so I would like take it very, very seriously and very harshly. It was just like stupid things like a kid slamming my locker or, or things like that. And during a meditation that I did like two months ago, I was just assessing my body and where I was holding tension. And I was holding tension in the like, bottom part of my jaw near my lips. And I recognized that it was a pattern that I established during one of the times I was bullied. I like twisted my lip and my jaw in a certain pattern. And I maintained that, that ever since. So it was like a like a muscular neurotic holding pattern that I clung onto. So I consciously released that. And I think that helped me 
release that negativity that I was holding on to from those stupid bullying situations. And I was able to laugh at it because it's just stupid kids doing stupid things. Yeah, it's strange how a, a, a small event can affect your entire life. Like I've always, my whole life, felt very uncomfortable dancing in front of people. Recently remembered uh, when I was like five years old, we were doing some Christmas caroling at some old folks' home for some reason, and I, for some, when we were the kids were singing and I was one of them, uh, I started dancing. And the teacher said, don't dance, and, but I didn't stop. And she really told me that I should not dance. And uh, this probably stuck with me. And uh, uh, so it's like small things like that can like screw your entire life. <laughs> yeah, definitely. That's, that's a little traumatic experience. And then you inherited that as a belief. And we all do that. And it's very subtle the way it can manipulate your life. So it might limit people in very, very subtle ways, that kind of things. Because people look at trauma as like, they'll see like um, sexual abuse or something very violent and blatant. And they'll look at that as trauma. And it's obvious, but it's really hard to figure out those subtle traumas. Like you just said about someone criticizing you for dancing. And that's really hard to identify within yourself and to see what that's, what it's affecting and what it's limiting in your life. Oh, and, and another thing with that is ayahuasca is really, really good for identifying and clearing those kind of subtle traumas as well. I did a retreat in February, an ayahuasca retreat in the Peruvian Amazon. And during one of the ceremonies... I saw my nine-year-old self, and it was this a time in my life where I was moving. So I was moving from my first house where I had all of my friends on the same block. So it was like, it was my, my place, my happy place. It, I felt like I belonged there. And when I found out I was moving, I had an extreme reaction to it. I was, it was traumatic for me because that was my home and all my friends were there. And I didn't realize how traumatic it was until that ayahuasca ceremony. And I, I saw myself, my nine-year-old self, and I hugged him and we merged back together. So it was like reclaiming my inner child that I left at that point in time. And it was, it was the most profound feeling of my life because it was like a, a whoosh. Okay, you're back in here. I'm back in here. <laughs> so, yeah. Have you ever had any experience of like past lives when you've done ayahuasca? I've had glimpses. Nothing nothing very very long or very descriptive, just glimpses. Like one one that I remember was I was a crying viking. <laughs> so it was just the close up of a viking's face shedding tears. So it was just glimpses like that. I've I've had quite a few, but I'm I'm struggling. Like if I'm projecting that it was, you know, this is also the difficult thing with ayahuasca. Is like, well, it's not difficult if you don't question anything. But I'm I always question things. But uh, if I'm projecting that, you know, it's just a a fantasy of past lives, or if it actually was a memory. But I guess I won't find out till I die. <laughs> exactly, and I I view a lot of that. Um, the possibility that I view is according to what you're projecting and 
your archetype in this life, you could be scooping something something specific out of like the human collective unconscious. So like scooping a specific life experience that someone else lived that's like in this morphogenic field of of humanity. So because you're tuned in into that, you're you're picking that experience. Do you have any like uh, belief or faith in some higher entity of some sort? Um yeah, in in some way, but I can't describe it with like one religious label or or something like that. But I I do view and I've experienced like there is a source to everything and there's a everything rolls up into the same oneness essentially. So I think that that force or that that source of everything is the equivalent of the loaded word god. <laughs> Mm, yeah, I, I I was quite a hardcore atheist before I did ayahuasca. And then after ayahuasca, I realized I wasn't really a, an atheist. I was an atheist in terms of the this fabricated father god that they speak about that is not the true version. It's like some, so, you know, like Richard Dawkins, I don't know if you know that is, who goes around the world and... Uh, says that all the religions are wrong and the funny thing is he's right but he's but they're all wrong you know like because they've made this god thing very human you know that it's become a a patriarchal god and you reminded me of something that albert einstein said i forgot the exact quote but when he was asked if he believes in god he said yes but but not the christian god or not the the christian patriarchal god and also the fact that they put the gender on it, I think it's also quite funny. <laughs> it is, yeah. Trying to personify everything. Even the standard religions, after my ayahuasca experiences, I've reread some of those texts and I look at them with different eyes. And uh, I think they're more valuable to me now than they was before. I mean, you know, of course you can't take everything literally, but you know, between the lines, you know, the, the essence of those, all those different religions, holy books, if you take out the essence, because a lot of the w- stuff in them are political stuff that's that human beings have written, but like there's a hidden, you know, core, and, the, the, and this core is practically the same in all religions. Exactly, yeah, it gives you eyes to see the, the essential truth that underlies all religions and and I think all religions they have a core of truth but that core of truth is twisted and inverted for purposes of control in order to control people how is it where you've grown up because america is very christian have you lived in in such an area or has it been more like modern area of america um a little bit of both i grew up in new jersey and a lot of people were were Christian, particularly like Roman Catholic. And I went to church a little bit, but by the time I was a teenager, like my family didn't really go to church anymore. My parents got to more of an agnostic state where they they didn't accept everything or swallow everything blindly. So they they began to question things themselves. So there were some religious undertones, but a lot of my family and people that I knew kind of outgrew 
that rigid religious model. How did you discover ayahuasca? Um, it's something that it started popping up for me randomly over the course of like two years before I actually did it. So I would read an article where it would mention ayahuasca or listen to a podcast where it would be mentioned and it it would just become more and more frequent that I had to pay attention. It was like I, I was getting a sign like, hey, pay attention to this. <laughs> See what this ayahuasca thing is about. So it got to the point where it became something that I had to do. It was just calling me too strongly. The funny thing for me with ayahuasca is that when I found out about it, I went into it in the same way as somebody who finds out about, uh, you know, parachuting or, uh, you know, uh, mountain climbing or something. I wanted to see how what the experience was like. This healing aspect completely caught me by surprise. I, I, I didn't expect it. I knew it was useful healing, but I didn't see myself as going down there doing it to be healed. I just wanted to go down there to see, to understand what this thing was. So that was quite uh, amazing and surprising, you know, because I did not expect that. I had a very similar experience too, because I thought I would do it just to just to explore, just to gain more insight on things. But I had a similar experience that I I had unexpected healing because I viewed myself, and this was a delusion. I I viewed myself as like, yeah, I've been on the spiritual journey for or for a few years. I know a lot of stuff. I had a pretty good childhood. I don't have a lot of trauma in my life. Like I had that delusional mentality and we all have trauma and limiting beliefs to some extent. So I went there and I got smacked sideways a little bit and got some profound self-healing done. Have you ever had a, this experience where you lose your sense of self or, or where you like are not you, but you're still you, but not this you you're right now? Yeah, I've had a bunch of like many experiences like that. And it's all it was all in different ways. Like I had it at some points during ayahuasca ceremonies and I've even had it during during meditations, too, especially since then, because I've been way more open and and I have the ability to surrender more now. Have you found it difficult to talk to friends that you know that haven't tried ayahuasca or anything similar like that, that they think you sound crazy? Um, it depends. But with all my experience, like writing and I make videos too, so all the verbal and written communication I do, I'm able to put things in a way that a lot of people can understand and relate to. And I... I customize things that I know that person would would resonate with and I find that like that spark within each person so I use that as like an entrance point to talk about these kind of subjects because I'll I'll know that they're open in that kind of way. So most people if you if you approach it that way they they can be receptive but some people are just entirely closed off. <laughs> yeah in the beginning, I really tried to convince everybody around me to try it. But then after having several experiences, I realized that uh, uh, there's, there's no benefit of doing that. They'll have to find it themselves. 
Yeah, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make it drink. People have have free will, and they're they're free to make their own decisions. You can lead by example. So if people see that you're a better person because of it, then they'll be curious themselves, and they might be inclined to try it that way. One thing I think is most difficult and annoying for me is that the things I've changed about myself. Uh, people still uh, treat me not knowing I changed because you know it takes many years for your surrounding to see maybe see different behavior and that even though you know it's different inside so I always thought that was annoying you know like that's the most difficult thing for me yeah, it starts within and then it slowly manifests outward and then also people people tend to have constructs or they put people in boxes so it's like that's that's mike mike's a bad person so mike always is a bad person even though they might not be completely a bad person that's the label that they get or that's the box that they're put in and most people think that themselves and other people are this static thing but everyone is always changing so to have so to put someone in a box or label them as a certain thing it's not even it's not even accurate because it's always changing do you do you uh, i don't know how many times you've uh, had i was experiences but do you have this thing where before you're drinking you're afraid every time <laughs> yeah i i've done it i've done one retreat a few months ago so i did five five ceremonies during a week and every time i was really scared before i drank it <laughs> i recently heard terence mckenna say something that i think is very true he says that uh, psychedelics uh, these uh, stronger ones anyway are the only thing that is gentle to a beginning and not gentle with an experienced person because normally whatever you do the more you do it the easier it gets but this is the opposite the more you do it like it gets harder every time <laughs> yeah because it it's a profound teacher and uh our our ego constructs are really afraid of like dissolving boundaries and i think terence mckenna talks about that too like we're so afraid of dissolving boundaries and because psychedelics do that it's incredibly scary for us i've been uh in uh, Peru three times and uh, the first time I came back I came back with uh, like some sort of messiah complex because it was so earth shattering and uh, then I went back the second time and I came back and I I was I calmed down you know and I was more back to normal but I felt like now I'm I'm healed I'm finished and then I went down a third time and I realized and then I like that time was the one I you know, matured, where it's like uh, there's nothing finished or, you know, uh, it's, it's an ongoing thing. I don't know if I'll ever do it again, but, I mean, like, it's, um, uh, it's uh, you know, the first times it's like it's so intense that you you think it's like, oh, I've gone through this thing, now I'm healed, now everything is done, but, you know, it's more like, well, now we've, Now it's all cleaned off. Now we can really begin, you know. Exactly. It's it's a continuous process. It it never ends. There there is no destination. 
And that's another delusion that we have. It's it's like that we believe that there's a destination that we stop at and arrive at, but that's not the case. Everything is continuously changing and evolving and there's always something new to do. There's always something new to explore. And as humans, we're imperfect beings, so we'll never achieve perfection. But that's that's part of the fun. That's part of the journey. That's what I feel when sometimes you online you come across these people who say they are enlightened. And I always go like, if you are truly enlightened, you wouldn't even need to say it to anybody. <laughs> you know, like that by default you're not like also the, like some people who believe if you believe in reincarnation you know like your last reincarnation is when you're like finished you're, you've reached the highest level people who say that this is my last life i i always say to them well if you say that it's definitely not <laughs> yeah because that's that's conceited <laughs> that's an arrogant mentality to have and it's also an assumption because you you don't know and I view enlightenment more as a direction than a destination or a place. So it's a it's a direction to travel in. I've had moments where I've been truly enlightened, but you know, for a few seconds, like moments in those ceremonies. But then, you know, when you come back, you you know, it's it's very hard to you know you can't stay in that state. It's there's too much confusion and. Uh, things around you in the world but like I've had like glimpses of it and touched it but then it you know went away yeah same with me just just short glimpses but then yeah you get sucked into um the ego or reacting to something or the worldly ways and that's just a part of a part of the imperfect human experience and that that what that's what makes it beautiful because if we were just continuously in a state of enlightenment it would kind of get boring and that's why i think we're playing out the these human dramas like um this reminds me of what you said on another podcast about this reality being an emotion simulator so the beauty of it is that we're able to experience the whole range of emotions i think we are in a way enlightened and we we're just here to see how it is to not be you know yeah and that's that's the big um, paradox of self-improvement because when you want to improve everything, that's assuming that you're lacking or assuming that you're unworthy to begin with. But yeah, we are enlightened. That's our uh, that's our essential state, and you only realize that once you strip away um, all of the bullshit. <laughs> I do think. It starts with the internal environment. So if you clear away a lot of the fear and the the ego constructs within yourself, you're not going to be motivated to carry out violence and atrocities to other people. You're just not going to have the motivation to do that. Like right now, someone could give me all the weapons in the world and I would have no interest in using them. And then another point to that is that everything ripples across everything it it ripples infinitely across every dimension that exists and i had this vision or feeling on ayahuasca i saw how every action ripples into other dimensions so what what we do here i think it does um influence other realities and other aspects of ourselves we're all a part of the same whole 
Yeah, I have that theory also. Like, if I take an extreme example, if somebody lives a life and they end up being like a serial rapist or something, and in my theory, when they die, they next life they'll choose to be one of the victims. You know, like not, and and I think in a way, so it's like a, you know, Christians always talk about if you're good, you go to heaven; if you're bad, you go to hell. But I see it more as if you realize you've been bad you're going to put yourself through hell. Because if you're enlightened after you die, then you realize, oh, uh, I deserve to experience this other version. Not even deserving it, but but playing out the other side of that will allow you to understand the big picture. So if you're, yeah, so if you're a, a violent person, you would naturally, out of curiosity, want to see the other side of who you carried out the violence on in order to understand the the big picture more. I view life as like a video game too. So if you take Super Mario, for example, it, you're not going to learn anything and it's not fun or worth it if all you do is casually walk to the right the whole time. But when you encounter obstacles and you have to go through scary stuff and trials and tribulations and and persevere through all of that, you learn much more and it becomes more worthwhile and more fun too. What do you do you have any uh, ideas about what uh, this virtual reality revolution is going to do to the human race? Do you have any uh, thoughts about it? Cuz it hasn't really started yet. It's uh, it's still but it's going to come whether we like it or not. Yeah, it it's in its infancy and I think the reality we're in right now could be the same thing. So we might just be creating microcosms within the same thing. So it just might be virtual reality within a virtual reality within a virtual reality within a virtual reality to infinity. And there's only one real, and I say real with quotes, (laughs) one real reality. So we might just be tunneling in to, into an endless stream of virtual realities. So do you have any plans uh, for the future with your website? You said you were writing a book. Um, I have a book that I just finished, so it'll be out by December, and it's called Soswick. So it's a story about this extraterrestrial Bigfoot-like creature who... His species is enslaved and he gets granted freedom to come to Earth as long as he agrees not to interfere with human affairs. So it's kind of like an outside looking in perspective on humanity and you get uh, a more ideal version of society and the way to live with how his race does things. So there's aspects of like tribalism, shamanism and and things like that interwoven within within the story. So that's that's my main project right now and I'm I'm also just doing a blog post every week, making YouTube videos. So, yeah, that that's been my regular practice as well. What are your YouTube videos about? Um really everything. <laughs> so it's it's whatever I'm inspired to create. So usually topics like philosophy, self-improvement, spirituality, all of those things. So it's my own unique blend of everything. And I'm continuously inspired to to talk about and discuss different things. And I just like 
I like sparking the hearts of people. Do you think uh, we'll ever have a future where uh, ayahuasca is like uh, on the same level as pharmacies at the moment in every street corner? I think we are headed in that direction because you're you're seeing it pop up everywhere in the U.S. right now and no one even heard of it 20 years ago. So it, it's a growing movement. And also I think within this dualistic reality, as things get really crazy on the negative side with like wars and all that, it branches out in like the same the same amount on the other side of the spectrum. So you're going to get things like ayahuasca becoming a healing tool and you're going to get more conscious ways ways of living as well in contrast to the atrocities of the world. But you know when you corner an animal it bites and I have this thing also like if people become you know because ayahuasca and those kind of substances is quite are quite liberating. It doesn't really go well with the way things are set up because you know basically we are in a sort of Roman Empire still and uh, and it's our society is basically built on war so uh, I mean this they're gonna you know try and somehow stop this <laughs> yeah of course yeah they're, they're definitely going to try to try to suppress it but the seeds are already planted so I think in the coming years those seeds are gonna going to blossom and it might it might be hard to see, but eventually they are going to to blossom. That's how I see it. The seeds have been planted, and actually, it could be quite uh, like catastrophic. For there might be like a generation that's going to get completely screwed over during the trans- transition. Um, like um, you know, always when there's a big change, there's always like suffering when it's happening, and then after it's good. Yeah, and that that applies to everything, both internal change and, and external change. Whenever you let go of, of some aspect of society or aspect of yourself, it's really difficult and it's painful, but you come out a better person. So I think that's what's happening on the macrocosmic level of society. Because there's this thing in the world now where it's like, it's going to be complete uh, worldwide bankruptcy or com- or war between huge countries or all these things. And I'm a bit like, I don't want that to happen, but I'm also thinking like maybe that's what needs to happen, you know, on the, on the, if I take a, you know, an unbiased perspective from the future, you know? Yeah. The, the systems have to collapse in order for something new in order to make room for something new. So it's like a forest fire or something like that where everything gets annihilated and then out of that something new can grow. So uh, are you planning to go back to Peru in the future? Um, As of right now, no, but I probably will eventually. If it starts calling me again, I will, but I'm I'm still assimilating so much of it. Oh yeah, if you were there earlier this year, it it, it is quite soon to think about that. Mm. I have I I mentioned I was there three times, but there was like two two and a half years in between each time, so it wasn't like back to back, you know. <laughs> yeah, because it it gives you enough to to really have you thinking and to really change your patterns for a long time, 
And then I guess if you start reverting back to some patterns or you find something else that you haven't explored or or something within you that you want to clear that you didn't before, then you could go back to it. And also, I liken it a lot to uh, you go to school and you get homework and then you're if you don't do your homework, you are afraid that the teacher is going to get angry. I have this feeling about it. So sometimes I know that there's some things I need to fix. And if I haven't, I, I, if I haven't fixed it, I don't, until I fixed it, I don't go back because if I don't, if I, you know, don't do what I was told, then I would be even more afraid to drink it again because then, you know, I would get a, a trashing, you know, <laughs> it feels like. Yeah, I, I have that same feeling as well. And that's, it's a complicated feeling because it's true in a way. But then on the other hand, it's like, it can almost be like an ego thing where you put pressure on yourself to do this. Like, I should be doing this and I'm not doing it. So it's like judging yourself based upon that while there might be truth to it. So it's kind of like a like a paradox in that sense. Um, so if people want to check out your stuff, what are the links? Uh, you, you said your website, you can say it again and maybe your YouTube as well. Yeah, my home base is my website, which is feelinggoodfeelinggreat.com. My YouTube channel is feelinggoodfeelinggreat. I'm on Twitter and Instagram too. Uh, my, my username on there is Stevie P, that's me. So you, you can find me. Cool. Well, uh, thanks a lot for taking the time to talk to me. Thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. Go to feelinggoodfeelinggreat.com if you want to check out Steven's site. And in the program notes on naturalbornalchemist.com, I've also posted links to his YouTube and Twitter. Now let's end this episode with a track called Fundamental Singularity by a band called Anaphora from the album Simplicity. If you want to listen to more of Anaphora's music, go to anaphoramusic.bandcamp.com. That's A-N-A-P-H-O-R-A music.bandcamp.com. Don't forget to follow and like the podcast on Twitter and Facebook, as well as checking out the writing section on naturalbornalchemist.com, where I post some written material that deal with basically the same things we talk about here in the podcast. But for some reason, I do find it easier to communicate my own ideas in written form rather than spoken. So that's all for this week. See you all next Sunday. Freedom is in the mind. Thank you.